0: Hello. Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Sense Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without being said, let's get on with the show. Raw will start off with a women's matchup between Bianca Belair, the Raw Women's Champion, going against Nikki Cross. Bianca would win the match by pinfall by hitting Nikki with the KOD. After the match, Damage Control would attack Bianca Belair, which would lead to Asuka and Alexa Bliss running down to the ring to make the save for Asuka. They would take out Damage Control, and this was set up for our main event of the night for the Women's Tag Team Championship match. Asuka and Alexa going against Dakota Kai and Io Sky. Now, Asuka and Alexa have been gone for Raw for about a good two, three weeks now. So them being back here was making the statement that they want to get revenge for Damage Control, taking them out those three. Three weeks ago. So that's the reason why they're here and that's the reason why they're getting a tag team championship matchup later that night. After this, we would get a Bobby Lashley Brock Lesnar talking segment. Well, sort of. Uh originally they were supposed to be in separate rooms and they were supposed to conduct this type of segment interview talk situation like way that uh Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins did, but Bobby Lashley would be in a room by himself and Brock wouldn't be there. Brock would instead go to the ring. Bobby would say that Brock has been ducking him for the past 20 years. He exposed Brock at Royal Rumble when he beat him, and he's going to expose him again at Crown Jewel the same way that he did two weeks ago when he speared him through the barricade. Bobby would claim that Brock is a Bobby Lashley wannabe. So Brock would retort. Brock would tell Bobby that he came here to fight and not talk. So he calls Bobby out to the ring. Bobby would oblige and make his way to the ring. Brock would meet Bobby at the walkway and they would just brawl for a short amount of time before referees, officials, and some wrestlers come out to separate both men. And during this whole melee of both men being separated, Triple H would even come out and he would tell one of the referees and let it be known that if these men touch each other, the match is off. And he wanted the ref to tell both Brock and Bobby that. And this would be the last time that we would see both Brock and Bobby on the show. So again, this was the hype of their match at, This Saturday, or if you listen to it right now, Saturday, uh, tonight's crown jewel event with Brock going against Bobby Lashley. Now, after this situation, we would get a Seth Rollins versus Austin Theory match. This was a great match. Seth would win the match by pinfall when he would counter a pedigree that Austin Theory was trying to give him and hit a curb stomp for the win. Austin Theory, even though he lost in this match, he put up a hell of a performance against Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins is an incredible performer. You can put him in the ring with anybody, and he, that matches will turn out good. Austin Theory, he is somebody that I believe that Vince had high hopes on and also Triple H has high hopes on, even though it doesn't seem that way with the way that Theory gets booked and being in a position for certain matches that he loses. Triple H still has some plan for Austin Theory. He still has the Money in the Bank briefcase. So this match right here with Seth, even though he lost, he still came out a winner in the end by showing what he can do with a high caliber performer like Seth Rollins. Now, after this matchup, we would get Roman Reigns coming out with Paul Heyman to the ring. Roman will come out here and say that he's going to be honest with the fans. He mentions that for the last two years, he has been hyping up his opponents for whenever he's about to have a championship matchup, but when it's time for the match to happen, he just smashes them. He talks about his upcoming match with Logan Paul at Crown Jewel. and mentions that Logan Paul has only had two matches. And for him to hype up this third match, it would be a complete waste of his time. It's beneath them. So Roman would hand the mic to Paul Heyman, so Paul can hype up the match. Paul will hype up the match. He talks about how Logan Paul has pins in his hands and that he could, if he could connect with that one lucky shot with Roman just completely discrediting that all the way in his mannerisms, and Paul Heyman would be interrupted by the Miz. Miz would come out here, and before he says anything, he would pay respect by saying that Roman Reigns is his tribal chief, and he does this all in a way to try to cut a deal with Roman. He says that he will help Roman take care of Logan Paul because he knows Logan Paul's weaknesses because he brought him into the WWE. In exchange, he wants his help with he who should not be named, meaning Dexter Loomis, And his whole problem. Roman would ask Miz a question before saying that he would take his deal. Roman would ask, why does everyone keep talking about Logan Paul's knocking him out? Roman would then hit Miz with a Superman punch. Miz was not expecting it and KOing the Miz. And Roman would say that Logan Paul should be worried about him knocking him out. So then Roman would leave the ring. Roman would talk trash to the camera saying that he's tired of being humble. He's not the guy to be messed with. He has no button for Logan Paul to push, and nobody has ever knocked him out. So we're building that matchup more and more towards Crown Jewel. And, again, it's all being built up on what if Logan Paul can get one good punch off on Roman Reigns and knock him out. I don't see it happening, but we'll have to see. Anyway, I'm still going to get my Crown Jewel predictions towards the end of the show anyway. Now, after this segment, we would get another one-on-one matchup of Damian Priest with the Judgment Day in his corner going against Carl Anderson, who had the club in his corner. By the way, editor note, I am not ever going to call the club the OC. That is a stupid name. I'd rather them just stick with the club. Everybody knows what it means. You don't have to say OC. OC just sounds just like trash. Anywho, back to it. Carl Anderson would win the match by pinfall by countering the reckoning into a backslide pin. After the match, Judgment Day would get in the ring and attack Carl Anderson, this will lead to both Luke Gallows and AJ to get in the ring and fight back against the Judgment Day. And in the end, the Judgment Day would stand tall with Rhea Ripley again being the X-Factor in this beatdown by hitting Luke Gallows with a low blow. AJ would eat a razor's edge from Damian Priest and Carl Anderson would get hit with a coup de grace from Finn Balor. Also, AJ would also get hit with a frost splash from Dominic Mysterio again. So Judgment Day laid out the club. And again, this is still setting up for the club to get a female to join their side against the Judgment Day's Rhea Ripley. Who is it? I have no idea yet. We still have to wait and see for that. After this goes down, we will now have time for JBL to come out here and we're in Dallas, Texas and JBL is from Texas. So you think that JBL isn't going to make fun of his town, but you would be wrong. He makes fun of the fans here and he calls out Baron Corbin to come out here, Corbin's out here, and he adds on to making fun of the crowd. These two would go at it with the crowd for a little bit. R-Truth would come out to the ring, and he'd dress up as a cowboy and act like Truth. He would mistake Corbin and JBL for wearing Halloween costumes, since this is Halloween night when Raw's on. But they're not out here wearing costumes. JBL's in a regular suit, and Baron Corbin's in a tracksuit, but it has, like, floral designs on it. JBL will say that they aren't wearing costumes, and he would call R-Truth an idiot. Truth would say that Corbin is dressed like a jack, and before he could finish that, Corbin will try to throw a punch at Truth. Truth would duck it and beat up on Corbin. And then you will see JBL throw his hat at Truth, and this would distract Truth, and it will allow Corbin to attack Truth from behind, then grab him and hit the end of days for the end of this segment. Now, after this, we would get to our trick or treat street fight. Matt Riddle with Elias in his corner going against Otis who had Chad Gable in his corner. Matt Riddle would come out here dressed up as Elias as Otis and Chad Gable would come out dressing up as Chris Farley and Patrick Swayze in their whole, I believe that was an SNL like little skit that they had. Like they were like strippers or some type of Chippendale dancers. One of the two. They even did the whole Chippendale dance routine going down to the ring. It was just nothing but just trying to kill time anyway. Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Riddle would hit an RKO on Otis when Otis was wearing a pumpkin on his head. Chad will go through a table when Elias would hit a jumping knee strike to Chad's face and that will smash Chad through the table. And again, this was just nothing but a gimmicky match since this was Halloween when Raw happened. So after this match would happen, we would get the Miz going against Mustafa Ali. Ali would win that match by pinfall thanks to Dexter Lumis interfering. When Miz had the match under control outside of the ring, Dexter would grab the Miz. Miz would escape the attempt capture and run into the ring. Dexter would hop the commentary table and stand on it and look at the Miz when security would run towards him and chase Dexter away. This would lead to the Miz turning around into a superkick by Ali, and then Ali will follow it up with a 450 splash for the win. So Ali is building a momentum for his inevitable clash with Seth for the United States Championship. And again, we're building up for The Miz and Dexter Lumis situation because after this, Johnny Gargano video will play. And it's Johnny Gargano basically having a WWE spoof version of ABC's 2020 tell-alls. And Johnny's here to explain why Dexter Lumis has been attacking The Miz for months. Johnny would state that this was an orchestrated plan by The Miz to make people pay attention to him because The Miz wants to be seen as a big, high-like celebrity. He hired Dexter because he knew Dexter was down on his luck because he lost his job and he needed a job and needed money. So when Miz first got kidnapped, it was a plan and he paid Dexter half of his money. Miz hasn't paid the other half to Dexter, so that's the reason why Dexter is constantly going after the Miz. He's looking for his other half of the payment. So that's the reason why we're getting this. And you know what? Okay, fine, cool. Dexter and the Miz making a deal, Miz basically paying Dexter off. I can see it because Johnny laid it all out. Miz wants to be a big, high price like celebrity. He wants to seem like he is one. And what celebrities need? They need stalkers. They need uh, press to follow them. They need all this type of crap. So that's what the Miz was trying to get with Dexter Lumina situation here. So, yeah, it makes sense. Now, after this, we will get to our main event, the Women's Tag Team Championship matchup of Alexa Bliss and Asuka with Bianca in their corner going against Io Sky and Dakota Kai who had Bailey in their corner. Alexa and Asuka would win the tag team championships when Asuka would hit EO with a roundhouse kick and tag in Alexa to hit Twisted Bliss for the win. Now, a highlight of the match was Bianca and Bailey. They will be fighting on the outside of the ring and they'll be fighting on a black, like, stage equipment crate and they're on top of it. And you will see Bailey grab Bianca and hit a Bailey to belly off the crate and smashing through two tables that were right beside them. So, this took both. Bianca, and Bailey out of the equation and it left it down to all four of these women. So again, now we have new uh, WWE Women Tag Team Champions, Asuka and Alexa. That You will have fireworks going off in the back. And I'm cool with this because again, this progressed the storyline and it would announce that at Crown Jewel, Alexa and Asuka will be defending their championships against Dakota and Io as Dakota and Io have basically put in their rematch clause for the championship. So that's what we're getting at Crown Jewel as well. And that's your raw wrestling highlights of the week. Now moving on to NXT, we have Braun Breaker coming out here. Braun Breaker hasn't been on NXT in the last well last week because he needed some rest after Halloween Havoc, and that's what he would start. He would say that at Halloween Havoc it was not just a big night for him, but for everyone in the back. He named guys like Wesley and guys like Apollo. And then Pretty Deadly will come out and make fun of Braun for barely making out of his match with his championship. While they last week, they defended their championships in courageous fashion. Pretty Deadly are jealous because Braun is getting the spotlight while they aren't. And they will make mention of how Wesley got the spotlight last week and he didn't deserve it. So Wesley will come out and tell Pretty Deadly to shut up and then all four men will talk. And ultimately, in the end, we are going to get an NXT Tag Team Championship matchup scheduled for the main event between Pretty Deadly and the team of Wesley and Braun Breaker. So basically, this is NXT's uh, champions going against each other. After this, we will have R-Truth going against Grayson Waller. And unfortunately, uh, the match would end pretty uh, abruptly when Grayson Waller would be outside of the ring and R-Truth would try to attempt a leaping, high-flying move Over the top rope, but his uh, hand or leg would get caught on the top rope. And whenever he went down and crashed onto the floor, his leg hit the floor hard. And you could see like he was arching and grabbing at his like left knee or right knee, one of the two. And that's whenever the referee would have to call for it because medical would come down there, check on truth to see if he's okay if he could still continue. And he couldn't. So that's when they had to wave the match off and give the win off to Grayson Waller. In Truth will have to get helped to the back. After the match, to kill time, Grayson Waller will grab a microphone, and in just, he will say that NXT is his house. It doesn't matter if you're an NXT wrestler, Raw wrestler, SmackDown wrestler, NXT is his, and you guys better beware of NXT, because it's mine. So, after this, we will get a Schism interview, and the main point of this is asking Ava Reign why she joined Schism. Ava would say that when she signed to WWE and got injured early in her career, people that she knew didn't check on her. People that she knew in the Performance Center didn't check on her. People that supposedly knew her for all this time, they didn't check on her. But a new guy did, and it was Joe Gacy. Joe Gacy was there for her. Ava let it be known that Joe isn't asking anything of her. Instead, he is giving her a family. And in the end, Ava would announce that next week, Joe Gacy will go against Cameron Grimes for the last time because Cameron Grimes is a pain and he is not accepting uh, the schism's love. He's not accepting Joe Gacy's teaching. So this is their only way that Joe Gacy could make Cameron Grimes listen and basically learn from him. So Joe Gacy will go against Cameron Grimes one more time next week on NXT. Now. After this, we will have Thea Hale with Andre Chase and Duke Hudson going against Keanu James. Keanu James would win the match by pinfall by hitting the 401k, which is a reverse sling blade on Thea Hale, and then cover her for the win. After the match, Andre would check on Thea and to see if she was okay, and Andre would get a check from behind by Charlie Dempsey. Charlie Dempsey would apply a chokehold onto Andre Chase, Duke Hudson would run into the ring, and Dempsey would leave the ring, and then you would see Duke help up both Andre and Thea, and you just start hearing the crowd chant for Chase. You chase you, and I forgot to mention this: the reason why we haven't seen Bodie Hayward in NXT is because Bodie Hayward has been, uh, released. Bodie Hayward was the guy that was around Andre Chase; he was like the first like pupil of Andre Chase University. So now with him being released. It seems that they're going to try to put Duke Hudson in this situation. And it seems that Duke Hudson is going to be like the sniveling, like conniving guy trying to backstab somebody. Right now, he's gaining the trust of Andre Chase first. But you can see whenever he looks at Thea Hale and he's like giving her the eyes, like googly eyes and all that type of crap, you can kind of see where this might lead off to. I don't think it's going to succeed personally, but we shall see. Um, Again, just want to make note of this. Bodhi Hayward was one of five NXT talents that got released this past week. It was Bodie Hayward, uh, Sloan Jacobs, Erica Jan, Damaris Griffin, and Rue Fing. Now, Sloan Jacobs and Rue Fing, I have seen on NXT. They were there only for like a brief cup of coffee. Other than that, these other two, Erica and uh, Damaris, I have never Seen them on NXT television. They were probably on NXT Level Up. I do not watch that. But again, these five got released. Uh, Better luck to them in their future. I hope that they continue to carry on with wrestling if they want to do that. But again, best of luck to them in their future. Now, after this, we would get Odyssey Joan going against Javier Burnell. Now, Odyssey Joan has been out of action for the past 10 months because he's been dealing with something in his leg. I don't know if it was some type of muscle got teared or something more or less it was that if he's out for 10 months but anyway he's back in the ring and he would win his match by pinfall by hitting a boss man slam for the win or for people that were watching an impact during the days of abyss he would hit the black hole slam just youtube it and you'll see what i mean uh odyssey jones he did well in this matchup again uh he probably got to shake off a little bit of ring rust he's a big guy so you, i don't expect him to do much in the ring like that but again he did well after this, we have Mandy Rose coming out here for her one-year uh, celebration as NXT Women's Champion. It'll be Mandy and the rest of toxic attraction in the middle of the ring. You'll see pictures of her during her period throughout NXT, whenever she first got in, to her winning the championship, to her being a double champion with her holding up the NXT Championship and the NXT UK Women's Championship, to her latest victory of her at Halloween Havoc. J.C. Jane and Gigi would be hyping up Mandy's championship reign, saying that people didn't believe in her, she's better than any woman in the locker room, and she also made toxic attraction the greatest woman faction in NXT history. They would then play a video package of Mandy's historic title reign. After the video would play, Mandy would then talk about whenever she came to NXT on her own two years ago, she had to bet on herself and it paid off. Mandy will say that she has given every woman in the back a chance to take this championship off of her, and no one has done it. She would throw out the challenge and tell any woman that they know where to find her if they want a shot. And then you will see smoke appear from under the ring, and Alba Fire would appear from under the table that's in the ring. And she would beat up both Gigi and JC. Mandy would get out of the ring as Alba walks closer to her, and Alba would get Gigi and slam her through the table with a gory bomb. Alba will get a mic and tell Mandy that next week she's going to take out JC. And in two weeks, she's going to come after that NXT Women's Championship. So again, Alba Fire has her eyes set on Mandy Rose's NXT Women's Championship. And I'm cool with this because, again, we still got to build up for the one to actually take the title off of Mandy Rose. Do I think it's going to be Alba Fire? No. However, I can't see them like pulling the wool over our eyes and probably giving it to Alba Fire just to see how everybody's going to react to it. But again, to me, I don't think Alba Fire is going to be the one to uh, take the title off of Bandy. Now, after this, we will have a one-on-one matchup between Indy Hartwell going against Zoe Starks, who had Nikita Lyons in her corner. Indy would get the win by pinfall, thanks to Zoe's own anger causing her the win. Zoe would be turning up the aggression throughout the whole entire match. You would see her beating up on Indy, and Nikita would have to tell Zoe to calm it down uh at times and then you would see at one point zoe and indy are both outside of the ring zoe is about to put indy through the commentary table but nikita would talk zoe off that ledge and then zoe would say okay she throws indy hardwell back into the ring and once zoe gets in the ring indy would hit zoe with a big boot and then hit her with a running forearm to the back of the head and cover zoe for the win so this match was basically zoe starts to win but her anger got the best of her. Her aggression got the best of her. Is all because of the NXT Women's Championship matchup that happened last week with Katana and Kaden. And they're going to get a rematch for those NXT Women's Championships next week on NXT. So again, she has to calm that anger down and not have that be the reason why she loses another opportunity at the NXT Women's Championships next week on NXT. Now, after this matchup, we would get Cora Jade going against Valentina Fores. And Cora would win the match by pinfall by hitting a double underhook DDT for the win. After the match, Cora would get her kendo stick and press it up to Valentina's neck. And Cora was looking to hit her, but Wendy Chu would come down to the ring and make the save. Cora would hit Wendy in the stomach with the kendo stick first. And then you will see Wendy, like, duck the other shot and then, like, beat up on Cora, grab the Kindle Stick, try to swing it so many times that Cora and Cora would just basically duck him, then leave out of the ring. So, we now got our new feud for Cora Jade. It's her going against Wendy Chu. Now, time for NXT main event. NXT Tag Team Championship matchup. Pretty deadly. Defending their titles against the North American Champion, Wesley, and NXT Champion, Braun Breaker. Pretty deadly. Would retain their championships when Carmella Hayes would interfere. Wesley was on the top turnbuckle and he's looking to hit some type of move. But Mello would go on to the ring apron and throw Wesley off the top turnbuckle. This will allow Kit Wilson to get Wes and pin him. And now we have Pretty Deadly again winning their championship matches with another person's assistance. So far, it's been Damon Kemp and now it's been Carmelo Hayes. Last week, they won strictly by themselves. But this week, they had interference. So, again, it's now a 50-50 on their championship reign here of interference to them winning by themselves. And that's cool because, again, bad guys are bad guys. They're supposed to win by the skin of their teeth. And that's basically what Pretty Deadly uh, did here. After the match, you will see Wes leap over the ropes and land on Melo. And then you will see both of these two fighting to the back. Braun would be in the ring holding up his NXT championship. And then when he turned around, Von Wagner would lay out Braun Breaker with a big boot. And as Braun Breaker laid out on the mat, you will see Von Wagner motioning for a championship around his waist. So Von Wagner is literally going after the NXT champion, Braun Breaker. Now we would go to the backstage area where Apollo Crews is seeing all this happening. And he's just looking at the monitor. And then you would see JD McDonough walk up on Apollo. And he would let Apollo know that he is going after Apollo now because if Apollo wants the NXT championship, he has to go through JD first because JD still wants that NXT championship. So now we're setting up uh, matches and setting up rivalries for this NXT uh, season right now. And I'm cool with it with... Von Wagner wanting the NXT championship, and that's what should have been on his mind for a long time now because it seems that like they've been hot and cold on whenever they want to pull that trigger on Von Wagner to go after the NXT championship, and I'm cool they're doing it now. That's fine. And JD McDonough, he needs somebody because he is a character that needs to be on NXT a lot. He is a creepy character. He is an excellent in-ring performer. Same thing with Apollo. Excellent in-ring performer. Uh, His character... Is basically like he can see the future, like, bit by bit, but he can't really piece it all together until it actually happens. But that's fine. That's cool. They want to pull that with Apollo, fine. As long as Apollo and JD's match is going to be fired, that's all I care about because these two know how to wrestle in a ring. They know how to compete. So that's all I basically care about, JD versus Apollo. I can't wait to see it. But anyway, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Here's something that you guys need to know. Um, during Dynamite, there will be two video packages showing. One was of the Elite eventually returning back to AEW. We do not know when, but they are revving up for it because during the event of Dynamite, they will show a video package of basically when the Elite won the Trios Championships at all out, and it will show that the footage will be erased with new footage of Death Triangles beating the best friends to win the AEW Trios Championships. And then you would see, like, advertisements that the Bucks and Kenny were supposed to be on. They would get erased out of that to show the Death Triangle. So AEW is really revving up for the Elite's return back onto screen. We just don't know when. And it seems that we can get the direction of them going against Death Triangle for the same championships that they were basically stripped of, and they never truly lost That was one video package that happened, and later on in the night, another video package will be playing of the House of Black. They are coming back as well. That's Malachi Black, Brody King, uh, Buddy Matthews, and Julia Hart. They are all coming back, and it's basically going to be them being rebirthed. That was the whole video package. And again, they played into the crowd and the fan uh, speculations of basically you guys... Thought that it was all over you guys easily fell for manipulation so again they're playing into everybody falling into the rumor mill and everything else so i'm glad house of black like played into it as well to basically say hey no i'm still here we'll stay here and you're going to see us soon so again those are two factions they're coming back to aew and personally i can't wait to see it because death triangle going against the elite that's going to be a fire burner of a match. And House of Black just coming back anytime. I like that group. Their entrance is dope. And they never ever got to reach that full potential in their first go around as a stable. And once they got put together. Now, hopefully, with this being the rebirth of House of Black, we get to see them actually reach that potential. Now, onto the first match that happened on Dynamite was Darby Allen going against Jay Lethal, who has Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh in this corner. Jay Lethal would win the match by pinfall thanks to a man dressed up like Sting, hitting Darby Allen in the stomach with a baseball bat, then throwing Darby back in the ring, and Lenny J. finish off Darby with a lethal injection for the win. Now, after the match, Sanjay and Satnam would get in the ring with Jay, and they would unmask the man that's dressed up as Sting and it's Cole Carter. Cole Carter is the guy that was part of QT Marshall's The Factory, and before he came into AEW, he was two dimes on NXT. Now... All four men would stomp out Darby Allen until Sting's music hits, and then you will see Jay and his company leave the ring and they wait for Sting to come out at the entrance ramp, but Sting never shows up. Instead, you will see Darby Allen get up in the middle of the ring, as he's waiting also for Sting to come out, Jeff Jarrett would slide in the ring behind Darby Allen, turn him around, and hit him with a guitar shot, making Darby bleed. Now, Jay Lethal and the rest of his guys would get in the ring with, to embrace with Jeff Jarrett because Jeff has a history with Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt back to their time in Impact Wrestling. Um, Jeff would get a microphone, and he makes it clear that he is a part of AEW, and before he leaves AEW, there will be body bags. So Jeff Jarrett is now a part of AEW, and also when AEW would go off air, Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, would tweet out, Welcome to AEW Dynamite, to the new AEW Director of Business Development, Jeff Jarrett. I look forward to expanding the AEW live events calendar in 2023 and in future years with Jeff Jarrett and our entire great AEW team. Jeff Jarrett is all elite. So Jeff Jarrett has a business uh, position in AEW. Again, this is coming to a surprise to everybody because Jeff Jarrett was with WWE at the beginning of this year, working for their uh live event uh sector of their company. Then he gets released like after SummerSlam, and now he's with AEW, so he went from WWE to AEW, that's still good, he's still got the bag, he's still making money, so that's always good, especially for legends like Jeff Jarrett, because in his promo, he did mention how he is a 4th generation uh, superstar, meaning back from his time that he was in the business, to his father, to his grandfather, to his grandmother, so he's a 4th generation star, and his family has had their like fingerprints all over professional wrestling, so Jeff wants to carry out that legacy now, and hopefully he gets to do that in a, well, professional role with AEW. So I have all the faith in that. of this, we have John Moxley going against Lee Moriarty, who has Stokely Hathaway in his corner. Ethan Page will be on commentary for this match. Mox would win the match by submission by locking in an R-bar on Moriarty and making Moriarty tap out. Now, after the match, Ethan Page would run down to the ring and hit Mox with a big boot, and that will lay out Moxley. So now we are still in the situation of The Firm being a pain in the size of Moxley and MGF as they're building up to their match for AEW's full gear for the AEW World Championship. And again, it still feels a little bit fishy to me. So how MGF just happens to fire The Firm last week, and he gets beat up last week, and this week he doesn't show up because he got beat down. It just seems a little bit too odd to me. Again, MJF is still a bad guy. He's still the devil. Everybody just wants to like MJF. It's still good to like him, but don't forget who he truly is, though. So, again, I still feel that this is a planned situation. At Full Gear, we will see the true nature of MJF pop out, and he will cheat-cheat to beat him, honestly, for the AEW World Championship. But only time will tell, and we still have to wait for uh, that time of Full Gear to arrive. After this, we will have the Billy Gunn birthday celebration segment, as it's hosted by The Acclaim. Now, The Acclaim will come out, Max will do his usual rap, and Billy Gunn will come out behind him, and his hands are all taped up, thanks to Swerve's attack on him last week on Rampage. That, however, doesn't stop The Acclaim and Billy from scissoring, because they would hand Billy Gunn's foam fingers that you now can buy at AEW shop, and they would have the foam fingers in a position to scissor, and they would scissor with Billy Gunn. Billy will also get an award from the Acclaim for being the best daddy, because, again, this is still their whole thing, uh, calling Billy Gunn's daddy ass. The Acclaim will also unveil a certificate. Now, the certificate is for the Acclaim to adopt Billy Gunn as their daddy, and they both have signed their name onto the certificate, and the only person that they need to sign on for now is Billy Gunn. And before Billy could sign his name onto the certificate... The Guns, Austin Gunn and Colton Guns, Billy Guns' actual kids, will walk out on the stage and take offense to not being invited to the party. The Guns will say that even though they weren't invited, they still got their dad, Billy Guns, a gift, and his gifts is in the ring right now. And once Billy turned around, Morrissey, W. Morrissey will be in the ring and he would big boot Billy Gunn in the face. Morrissey would then attack the acclaim as well. The Guns would run down and help Morrissey beat up on the acclaim. This will lead up to FTR making their way to the ring to make the save and basically have the guns and Morrissey leave out of the ring before FTR gets in there. FTR would see the AEW Tag Team Championships, hold them up, and just stare at them for a minute before they hand them back to the Acclaim, who the Acclaim now are looking at FTR with a little bit of scowl on their face for them to even hold their AEW Tag Team titles. Again, FTR's whole thing is they want to hold the AEW Tag Team Championships, Because they already hold the Ring of Honor tag team titles, the AAA tag titles, and the IWGP tag team championships. They got to have the belt that actually means most of them, the AEW tag titles, to collect and actually uh, achieve being the greatest tag team in history. At least that's what they want. And again, the acclaim are champions. They want to retain and hold on to their titles. But again, they have to go against Swerving our Glory at full gear to see if they will retain those tag titles and get to keep them. Now, later in the night, speaking of Swerve in our glory, we would have a backstage interview with Swerve, who had Rick Ross right beside him. And yes, I'm talking about Miami, Florida rapper Rick Ross, the boss. Ross will be here to hype up Swerve, saying that Swerve is not only the biggest wrestler, but also he wants to make Swerve the largest recording artist in the world because Swerve does rap. Keith Lee will walk up on Swerve and Rick Ross and dap up Ross, but he will have some words for Swerve asking Swerve why he's been ducking his Texas and not answering them. He will also ask Swerve who was the cameraman who recorded him beating up and kidnapping Billy Gunn's last week on Rampage. Rick Ross will stop Keith Lee right there and say that today is a happy day because they are celebrating Swerve and our glory being the number one contenders for the tag team titles. Swerve would make mention to Keith and tell him that he hasn't been ducking him and to show Keith that he is still an admirable man and the man that he's been teaming with for the better part of a year, now, he got an eight-man tag match set up for next week. It will be the claim and FTR going against Swerve Our Glory and the Gun Club. So that match has been scheduled for next week on Dynamite. We will go to our next match, the ROH Championship matchup of Chris Jericho with Jake Hager and the Ring of Honor peer champion Daniel Garcia in his corner. Going against a former Ring of Honor champion, whether it be a world champion, tag champion, peer champion, all the other titles, and it turned out to be Colt Cabana. Now, the internet would have fun with this. And everybody will be posting up memes of saying CM Punk must be flipping tables and all this type of stuff. What I want to say to everybody right now is that, listen, Tony Khan puts Coca Ben on the show. I guarantee you Punk does not care. Punk is dealing with his arm right now trying to get that back into recovery, trying to get that healed all up so he can come back and do wrestling if he wants to do that. Still, we have no idea about the investigation on Punk's side. Punk has not been released. He has not been fired. There has been no official word on AEW side yet. Again, there's always rumors and speculations going around. I am waiting until the official AEW press release has been put out that CM Punk's contract has been bought out or we have come to terms with CM Punk and he's no longer with AEW or something until that comes out. CM Punk is still on the AEW roster, so we just got to wait and see. But Colt is here. He gets a big uh, hero's welcome from the fans and even AEW fans. Uh, wrestlers would tweet out that it's good to see Colt Cabana back on TV, but that would not make Colt win the championship here. Chris Jericho would win that match by pinfall thanks to Jake Hager getting involved. When Colt Cabana would have the Superman pin on Chris Jericho and it looks like he's about to win the ring of the championship, Hager would sweep Colt's arm and break up the pin. This will lead to Colt Cabana hitting both Jake Hager and Daniel Garcia with a springboard moonsault. And once Colt got back in the ring, Jericho would hit him with a code breaker for the win. Now, after the match, Jericho and his Jericho Appreciation Society members will go up the stage, and you will see the Jericho members grab Ian Rickaboni who is a Ring of Honor commentator. Jericho was going to hit Ian with the Ring of Honor Championship, but Claudio Castagnoli would come out and attack Jericho. This will lead to Brian Danielson and Willie Uta to come out to help Claudio, making it a Blackpool Combat Club going against Jericho Appreciation Society situation. Then you have backstage officials and security come out to separate all of these men, so Claudio's problems with Jericho have not finished yet. And Brian Danielson's whole thing with Daniel Garcia isn't finished yet either. After this, we get another championship matchup. This time for the All-Atlantic Championship. It's a triple threat match. Luchasaurus going against Ray Phoenix going against Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would retain the championship by pinfall by hitting Ray Phoenix with the Orange Punch in midair. When Ray Phoenix was trying to do a move, but Orange Punch just clipped him right in midair and covered him for the win. Now there will be a situation with Pack coming down to the ring towards the end of the match, and Pack would try to hand Phoenix the ring bell hammer, the same hammer that Pack was using when he uh, had his matches with Orange Cassidy and Trent to retain his All Atlantic Championship. Ray Phoenix didn't want to use this, so that would made Phoenix basically lose the match here. After the match, Pack would get in the ring and attack Orange Cassidy. He would get the hammer and he's about to hit Cassidy with it until uh shibata from new japan and the best friends with rocky romero would come out shibata would walk towards the ring and pack would leave the ring again shibata is a bad guy and i mean like a bad guy as in like he's a dangerous dude he really like strikes and kicks and all this type of stuff so he's one of the like legit guys of new japan that really will like beat the tar out of you and pack would leave the ring shibata's in the middle of the ring he stands there And Orange Cassidy gets up with sunglasses on, the All-Atlantic title in his hands, and he has a contract in his hand. He would look at Shibata, hand him the contract. Shibata would sign the contract, and the match is made official for Dynamite, where Orange Cassidy will be defending that All-Atlantic championship against Shibata. Now, again, I'm glad to see Shibata here. It just makes me think, is Shibata going to be wrestling in America just like regularly because new japan style is real strong striking hard hitting and shibata i don't think he can do as much new japan style the way that he used to so for him to go over to america and do the american style of wrestling it would be interesting to see if he could do it but only time will tell we just have to wait and see now after this we have a tbs championship matchup of marina shafir going against jay cargo who had Leah legray in her corner Nyla Rose and Vickie Guerrero will be on the stage doing commentary for the match and trying to distract Jade. Jade, again, does not hold the TBS championship. Literally, she is a champion, but she does not have possession of the belt because Nyla Rose has the title because she stole it. You will see Jade not take the bait from Nyla Rose. She ends up beating Marina Shafir by hitting her with Jade to win the match. Kiara Hogan would try to sneak attack Nyla Rose to get back to TBS title, but that doesn't work. Nyla will lay out uh, Hogan and then walk away. So again, we're still leading up to Jade going against Nyla Rose for possession of the TBS championship, but it does not get made official, not on Dynamite this week. Now, for the main event, it will be for the ROH television championship, Samoa Joe going against Brian Cage, who had Prince Nana in his corner. Samoa Joe would win this match by submission by applying the Coquina Clutch on Brian and making Brian tap out. Now, after the match, the Gates of Agony would come down to the ring and attack Samoa Joe. Brian would join them and beating up on Samoa Joe. So now you got the whole embassy beating up on Samoa Joe, which will lead to Warlow making his way down to the ring. Now, the embassy would leave the ring as Warlow gets in there. Warlow is uh, a partner of Samoa Joe and their team War Joe, and he has Samoa Joe's back here. And as it looks, that just Warlow just manning the ring by himself and he's watching the embassy walk up the stage, he would not see Powerhouse Hobbs sneak into the ring. And Powerhouse would hit Warlow with a spine buster and laying Warlow out. Powerhouse Hobbs would then pick up the TNT championship and hold it up in the air to end dynamite. So, again, we know what Powerhouse Hobbs wants. He wants the TNT title. So, we are on the course for full gear. And I'm going to say it again. Full gear, Powerhouse Hobbs going against Warlow. And that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling will open up with an Eddie Edwards uh, promo as he's in the desert at night. And the main gist of this thing is that he's challenging PCO to meet him here because only one man will be coming back from the desert and they have to finish this thing between the both of them. So that happens later on in the night. But the first match of Impact would be Kenny King going against Mike Bailey in a first round X Division Championship match tournament. Mike Bailey would win that match by pinfall by reversing a single leg crab into a cradle pin for the win. Now, next week, Mike Bailey will be facing Trey Miguel in the semifinals of the X Division Championship tournament. After this, we will have Savannah Evans with Tasha Steeles in her corner going against Jessica, who's one half of the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Champions, with Death Dolls in her corner. Death Dolls is Taya Valkyrie, who's the other half of the Knockouts Tag Team Champions, and Rosemary. Tasha Evans would win the match by pitfall when Jessica would watch as Rosemary speared Tasha because Tasha pushed Taya Valkyrie into the ring post earlier because Tasha got involved in the match by getting on the ring post and Taya pulled her down. So this all gets to these ladies getting into it on the outside Jessica would watch this, and then when she turned her attention back to Savannah, she would get hit with a big boot to the face, and then Savannah would finish off Jessica with a full Nelson Slam for the win. Now, for Savannah winning the match, it would be announced that at Overdrive in another two weeks, it would be Tasha Steeles and Savannah Evans going against the Death Dolls for the Impact Knockouts Tag Team titles. Now, after this, they would show video of PCO meeting Eddie Edwards out in the desert, and they will have their fight in the desert, And to be honest with you, this was another cinematic, like, match that I believe that we are more than likely over by now. I mean, 2020 cinematic matches needed to happen because not everybody could do actual matches in front of people. And uh, 2020 was a weird time, so everybody just basically started experimenting. So I believe the cinematic matches are done now. This one wasn't needed. But in the end, PCO would get buried by Eddie Edwards when Eddie would hit PCO in the stomach with the shovel, and then hit PCO in the head with the shovel for that be the final blow, and start covering up PCO with dirt and rocks, so he buried PCO, I'm not sure if PCO is leaving Impact, his contract's up or not, I don't know, or this is just way for PCO to, uh, like, rest his body up, or whatever it needs to be, because PCO is a older gentleman, so I don't know, only thing I know is Eddie Edwards has buried PCO here, and That's all that we have now off to our next match. It'll be Eric Young with Diener in his corner and going against Sammy Callahan. Sammy Callahan would win the match by this qualification when Sammy was prepared to hit Eric Young with a pile driver, but a group of Eric's disciples would circle the ring and get on the ring apron. The disciples are out here wearing a yellow hoodie, so you don't see their faces, but Sammy will go after one of the members and knock one of them off the ring apron. And then once he does this, all the members would get in the ring and start jumping Sammy and making the referee call for the bell. That's how Sammy gets to win here. After the match, the group would stomp out Sammy until Dina would get in the ring and call them off. The disciples would then take a knee, and then Dina would pick two of the members to stand up and show themselves to the world. And once they removed their hoodies, the two disciples were Alan Angels and Big Khan, formerly known as Connor of the Ascension for WWE purposes when he was in there. Eric Young would get up, and Dina would hand Eric Young an object and Eric would stab that object into Sammy's forehead, making Sammy bleed. And then Eric would pose with his disciples as the disciples were throwing up three fingers in the air. And apparently that's their uh, fingers or their little like hand symbol for Eric Young's group. Again, Eric Young has to reshuffle the deck with uh, violence by design since uh, Joe Doring is out and he has to deal with cancer again. It's good that now Impact has Alan Angels, a guy that was not utilized on AEW as he could have been. But again, AEW has such a big roster, so it is what it is. So now with Impact, he's with Eric Young's group, Violent by Design, and hopefully he gets to showcase himself. And Big Con, he hasn't been able to be on national television for a good, wow, I mean, a good couple of years. The last time he was on television was literally this year, but like in a real quick, like, squash match with josh alexander when josh just basically beat him real quick so now to see connor here and hopefully he gets a bigger role and be the big guy for uh violence by design here that will showcase something to everybody and even have wwe want to pick connor back up maybe we'll see but eric young has a new uh violence by design group here but he still has dinner his one loyal uh Servant. So that's still great. After this, we will get another matchup of Moose going against Ace Austin with Chris Bay in his corner. Ace would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Bully Ray. When Moose was prepared to hit Ace Austin with the spear, Bully would make his way down to the ring and start antagonizing Moose. Moose and Bully would jaw jack with each other. Moose would tell Bully to watch, and he would show him how to be a real scumbag again. So again, we're still building on the story of Bully trying to not be a scumbag, and Moose is trying to pull that scumbagness out of Bully Ray and Moose will go for the spear on Ace. Ace will move out of the way and Ace would then roll up Moose for the win. So again, we still are building up for this eventual showdown between Moose and Bully Ray. Is Bully Ray really this changed guy that he's preaching to be? Or is he still that nasty Bully Ray that he's just basically hiding until the right moment to basically pop up? and everybody's still saying that the right moment will be whenever he cashes in his uh, Call Your Shot tournament prize, well, not tournament, Battle Royal prize, and go after Josh Alexander for his Impact World Championship at the most opportune time for him. Now, speaking of Josh Alexander, we go off to our main event where the world champion Josh Alexander will be teaming up with Frankie Kazarian to go against Aussie Open. Kazarian would get the win for his team by pinfall by hitting a slingshot cutter on mark davis for the win after the match kazarian would be holding up the impact championship as josh will be watching him kazarian would place the title on josh's shoulder and that's how impact ends with kazarian and josh alexander basically having their hands raised up in victory again we're still pushing the match pushing the story on with josh alexander going against frankie kazarian at overdrive for the impact world title in two weeks and we just basically have to see will kazarian be able to finally win the big one win the world title or will josh alexander hold on to his impact world championship but that is your impact wrestling wrestling highlights of the week now we're off to smackdown there is no big heavy hitters on this show because everybody's already off to saudi arabia at this point getting themselves ready for crown jewel so we only had a Alright, SmackDown. We will start off with a no disqualification matchup between Liv Morgan going against Sonya Deville. Liv would win the match by pinfall by hitting Oblivion on a pile of steel chairs on Sonya Deville. So Liv continues her win and she looks like she's back on the winning streak. And also she is enjoying the pain, both inflicting it and feeling it. So we're starting to see more and more of a pain uh tolerant character from Liv Morgan here. Again. Nobody knows what's really going down. People are making the connections to say that it has something to do with probably with Bray Wyatt because every time Liv's backstage, there is like a Bray Wyatt logo somewhere, like really Easter egged in the background. So they might make the connection of Liv Morgan might be under the spell of Bray Wyatt or something. I don't know. I'm just falling off of what people are saying or what people are seeing online. And Bray Wyatt is this cryptic person. So he does like to put little mini easter eggs and certain things so i can see it but with her right now Liv morgan is in her uh phase of a character that she's just really enjoying the pain now after this speaking of bray wyatt bray wyatt will be backstage pacing back and forth and he will start talking to the camera talking about how it's been hard for him to open his feelings out to the people and for people to constantly interrupt him as he's trying to just bare his soul. A worker will be walking backstage behind Bray Wyatt, and you hear one of the producers say, hey, we're live here, and you just start seeing Bray say, that's okay, and he walks over to the worker. Now you start seeing Bray start flipping out. You start seeing him talk about how he's feeling emotions that he just wants to grab the worker by his head and smash his head against the wall and just... To the point that he wants to make the worker unconscious. So he wants the worker to apologize to him. Look him dead in the eye. And say that he's sorry for the misunderstanding. He's sorry for what he's doing. The worker will say that he apologized. And Bray would just start like, flipping out more. But he doesn't like say nothing to the worker. He says, go ahead, go, go. So Bray right now is in his own head right now. He's having these different uh mood swings he's really really just emotional and again we're seeing a newer different side of Bray Wyatt right now he's still in normal clothing he doesn't have any of this uh voodoo style clothing he doesn't have any of this creepy style clothing the way he used to wear before he uh left the WWE he just looks like he's in regular uh clothing so again we're still seeing this new side of Bray Wyatt we got to figure out what's going on there's still more to the story when it comes down to Bray Wyatt there's always more to the story and again during this they will be like showing like flashes of what's particularly going on in his head you start seeing flashes of Uncle Howdy you start seeing flashes of just people rising out of the dirt and all this other like symbolism which I don't know what it means but we've got to continue on this ride with Bray Wyatt to see what all the symbolism means hopefully by next week or Somehow, by Crown Jewel, because Bray Wyatt's supposed to be at Crown Jewel, we at least will get one more piece of the puzzle to understand what's going on with Bray Wyatt in his head. After this, we go back to the ring. It's Ricochet going against L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight would win the match by pinfall when Ricochet would get Knight in a roll-up, but L.A. Knight would reverse out of it into his own roll-up, and then you would hold on to the ropes for the win, so L.A. Knight would get a cheated tainted victory over ricochet so you can tell this issue between ricochet and ellie knight more than likely isn't going to be over they'll probably get a match next week after this the usos will come out to the ring and their whole point for being out here is to say that at crown jewels they're going to beat the brawling brutes to retain their tag titles and they are one step closer to becoming the longest reigning tag team champions in wwe the new day will come out and they said that they hope the Usos lose to the Brawling Brutes at Crown Jewel so they can preserve their record as the longest reigning tag team champions. But, just in case the Usos somehow able to squeak out a win at Crown Jewel, whenever the Usos hit their feet back on U.S. soil, they just gotta know that the New Day is ready for them. And it will be announced that next week on SmackDown, whether it's the Brawling Brutes or the Usos, the New Day will be getting a tag team championship matchup next week on SmackDown. The Brawling Brutes would attack the Usos from behind, and then look at the New Day. Xavier Woods would tell the Brutes to beat the Usos. And then you would see the New Day and the Brutes stomp out on the Usos until Sami Zayn and Solo Sikoa would come down to the ring to even the score. In the end, the Bloodline would stand tall, leaving everybody laid out. And again, we're building up for Crown Jewel. The Usos going against the Brawling Brutes. And also, more than likely, next week, the Usos going against the new day for that title of who is going to be the longest reigning tag team champions in history will the new day stop the usos from becoming the longest reigning tag team champions or will the usos beat the new day to become the longest reigning tag team champions and again i'm going to throw this out there again next week when it comes down to the title match. Let it be. The Usos going against the New Day. No bloodline interference. No nobody interference. Just two tag teams that have all this history between each other. All this respect between each other. Just go out there and have a banger of a match. Let Big E be on commentary. Big E's able to fly out he's not medically cleared yet for in-ring competition but he should be there on this historic night if the new day happened to lose to the usos and have the usos become the longest reigning tag team champions this is a historic situation biggie was a part of the new day whenever they won the tag team titles and went on their long reigning Tag Team Champions to become the longest reigning Tag Team Champions in WWE history, it would make sense for Big E to be somewhere around the arena, somewhere in the fans' eyes sight, to see this historic making matchup happen next week on SmackDown. And again, I want the match to be just between the Usos and the New Day. Nobody interfere, no nothing. Give them the main event slot and just allow them to have a good 35-40 minute match because that match itself alone... Has a whole lot of stakes riding on it. If you don't give me 30 minutes, I'm going to be really disappointed. Because that is stupid that you don't give these two tag teams 30 minutes. So again, let that be what it is next week on SmackDown. You have that free advice for you right there. Use it. Take it. Please. Because if you don't, you're just wasting time. After this, we will get Shayna Baszler with Ronda Rousey in her corner. Going against Natalya. Shayna Baszler would win the match by submission. When Baszler will lock in Natalia in the Kokina clutch, and Baszler would have Natalia tap out. After the match, Shayna and Rhonda will look at Natalia, who's being looked at by the ref and she's on her knees. Rhonda would say something to Shayna, and then Shayna would start pulling down one of her knee pads and just straight up just knee Natalia right in the face. And it looks like it hits her right in the nose. Ronda and Shayna would leave the ring, and we will see a ref hand Natalia a towel because Natalia's nose is busted open. And I mean just red gushing. So we're seeing a newer, unleashed, ruthless side of Shayna Baszler thanks to Ronda Rousey now being with her. So hopefully this will lead into a more vicious Shayna Baszler and her just start tearing people's arms apart until it gets to the point that Shayna wants the SmackDown down championship away from Ronda. And we get that match that should have happened some time ago between Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. Now, after this, MVP will be in the ring, and he says that he has five guys that he wants Braun to go against since Omos went against four guys on Raw. Out walks the five guys. They're five local guys that they just picked out of basically whatever uh, environment area that SmackDown was running in that night. But before he even gets in the ring, Braun's music would hit, and he would just truck down the ring and just destroy all five of those guys. As MVP will watch in the ring, Braun will look at MVP and start going towards MVP and get in the ring. P will leave the ring trying to run away. Braun will chase after him and he would get MVP, throw him back in the ring, and hit MVP with three running power slams to lay out MVP. So this gives Braun a fair fight with Omos at Crown Jewel with Omos just being by himself with no MVP, so it's going to be truly giant. Versus monster among monsters with no interference, just a straight up monster battle at Crown Jewel. Now, to end off SmackDown in the main event, it'll be for the Intercontinental Championship. It'll be Rey Mysterio going against the champion Gunther, who had no Imperium by his side. Gunther sent Imperium directly to the back, and they did not interfere in this match, none at all. Gunther would retain the Intercontinental Championship by defeating Rey Mysterio when Gunther would big boot Rey Mysterio in the face then grab him by the arm and pull him in for a short-arm clothesline for the win. So, Gunther is still your Intercontinental Champion. This was a good match between Gunther and Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio is a 40-some-odd-year-old man, and he's still able to move around like he was able to move when he first got into WWE 20 years ago. I mean, not probably as fast, but you get the drift. A man that is 40-some-odd years old, the way that Rey has been getting... Thrown around the way that he's constantly been getting thrown around throughout his whole career, is still able to move the way that he was able to move against Gunther on SmackDown. That is remarkable. So that, again, tells you that modern medicine has really done wonders to the body. So, again, this was a good match between Rey Mysterio and Gunther. Rey Mysterio put on a clinic with Gunther. Gunther just uh brought more prestige onto the Intercontinental Championship. So that's the whole thing with this matchup. I would implore you to watch this matchup if you want to see good wrestling, big man versus small man wrestling. It was great. And that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, off to AEW Rampage. Before I get into it, there would be something that would be announced on Rampage. Chris Jericho would be backstage, and he would announce that at full gear for the r Championship, it would be a Fatal 4-Way matchup of himself going against Sammy Guevara, going against Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli. The reason why he did this is because Brian Danielson and Claudio both made a statement on Rampage that they both won a shot at the Ring of Honor Championship since they're both former Ring of Honor champions. Chris Jericho would say that instead of going against them both at one-on-one, why not do it at the same time? Because he feels that the Blackpool Combat Club members really don't like each other. So he's going to test that theory at full gear. And instead of just having himself going against those two, he's going to have an extra support system in his side during the match, and it's going to be Sammy Guevara. So once those two take out both Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli, and he comes under those two, Jericho looks at Sammy and taps him and say, You know what you're going to do, little buddy. So. Sammy will look at Chris Jericho, and this gives off the implication that Sammy Guevara is more likely going to have to lay down for Chris Jericho, and Sammy's not going to like that, but we will have to see when Full Gear runs around. Now, for the matches that happened on Rampage, the first match would be the All-Atlantic Championship matchup between Shibata going against the champion Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would retain the championship by pinfall by hitting Shibata with the Orange Punch when Shibata was going for the punt Kick. After the match, Shibata would shake hands with Arch Cassidy. Arch Cassidy would put his glasses on Shibata, and that's the end of that. Shibata was actually able to wrestle a legitimate matchup here. He just wasn't mat-based and all that. No, he actually did some punches, some kicks. He was actually able to be shibata light here. He couldn't go full Shibata in New Japan here because, again, I think Shibata's trying to take it easy and try to make sure that he doesn't suffer any type of uh, damage the way that he did whenever he did full New Japan back whenever he was actively wrestling. This is his first match. I believe that he's actively been back in like wrestling tights, the whole regalia of him just wrestling again. And he goes against Orange Cassidy. Cassidy was able to bring with Shibata. Those two actually able to find rhythm and mix styles. Even at one point, Shibata would mock Orange Cassidy by doing one of Orange Cassidy's little kicks to Cassidy in the face. So Shibata was actually able to play mind games with uh, Orange Cassidy. And Arch Cassidy would rev up his uh, wrestling by trying to do the New Japan thing, the striking hard and all that, to Shibata, and Shibata would just eat it. So, again, this match was great. And also, we had Mike Tyson on commentary. At first, I wasn't really feeling it because Mike Tyson doing commentary, I was like, okay, what are we doing? But people online loved it. So, I mean, hey, if they loved it and I'm just one person that didn't like it, hey, Tony Khan's going to run with the people that actually loved it. So, congrats to... Tyson for being on commentary, for getting the bag for that. And Shibata for being here on a rampage and actually having a legitimate match with Orange Cassidy, a guy that actually could pull it off and make sure that Shibata was safe, even though there was a small scare towards the end where Shibata would get hit with a a DDT and Shibata would land on his head and everybody, even in the crowd, it's like you could hear the wince of, ooh, and they even made reference of it on commentary. But Shibata was still able to continuously go on with the match with Orange Cassidy without no hiccups, so Shibata seemed okay. After this, we had a tag team matchup of Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter with Rebel in their corner going against Madison Rain in Sky Blue. Jamie would win the match for her team by pinfall when Jamie would hit Madison Rain with the Ripcord Lariat or the Rainmaker, for people with better preference, to win the match. After the match, Britt Baker will get a mic and talk about how at full gear Jamie Hader is going to win the AEW Interwomen's Championship away from Tony Storm as Jamie will continue to beat on Madison Rain as Britt is talking. Tony Storm will come down to the ring and take care of both Britt Baker and Rebel. And then Tony will get in the ring and fight with Jamie Hader and get the best of Jamie. Tony will lock Jamie into a Texas Cloverleaf submission and just hold that submission in. Britt Baker would get the AEW Women's Championship and get in the ring and attack Tony with it to make Tony release the hold. Britt Baker would hand Jamie Hayter the AEW Women's Championship. And this could be a look into the future of what could happen at Full Gear. Jamie Hayter possibly leaving Full Gear with the AEW Women's Championship. But again, we still got some time until that event happens. And things can happen, Britt Baker could probably show some jealousy towards Jamie. And that could put a little... Uh, switch in those plans, but we will have to see. After this, Ricky Starks would come out to the ring and he would announce that he has entered himself into the World Championship Eliminator Tournament. So now in the tournament, we now have Dante Martin, Ethan Page, Eddie Kingston, Roosh, Bandito, Lance Archer, Brian Cage, and now Ricky Starks. The first match of that World Championship Eliminator Tournament will begin next week on Dynamite with Ethan Page going against Eddie Kingston, and then all the other matches will follow up on Rampage next week. Now, for the main event, we have the Gates of Agony with Prince Nana going against Samoa Joe and Wardlow. Wardlow will get the win for his team by hitting Khan with four power bombs, or better known as a powerbomb symphony, and they cover him for the win. Samoa Joe would get Toa, in a Coquina Clutch, so Toa could not get in the ring to break up the pinfall. Now, once this match is over, Samoa Joe and Warlow are in the ring, and Powerhouse Hobbs' music would hit, and he would just get on the interstage and just start looking at Warlow. Warlow could not see Powerhouse Hobbs, so he pushes Samoa Joe out of the way, and you start seeing Joe take offense to that. He looks at his chest, and then he looks at Warlow, who Warlow is just dead set locked his eyes on Powerhouse Hobbs because Powerhouse for the past two weeks has been laying out Warlow with the Spinebuster, and you already know the collision course for Warlow going against Powerhouse Hobbs is coming for the TNT title, but as you can now start seeing from the way that Samojo is looking at his chest and then looking at Warlow, you can tell that Warlow has somebody else to now deal with creepingly. Because Samoa Joe didn't say nothing to Warlow. He didn't do nothing to Warlow. He just looked at Warlow and he just start sizing him up a little bit. So again, you can start seeing where we're coming to this. Powerhouse Hobbs going against Warlow and it doesn't matter who's going to win. Samoa Joe is probably going to come out of that TNT title. So if it's Warlow that has it, he's going to go at the Warlow. If it's Powerhouse Hobbs, he's probably going to go at the Powerhouse Hobbs after he kiss, takes care of Warlow. So Joe is going to go after Warlow because Joe does not like being disrespected. He's a guy that hasn't been disrespected in no other, like, shape and found in any other company, the way that somebody puts his hands on him or anything like that. Everybody in any company has never done that to Joe, and Joe just, like, lets it slide. Joe is always the guy that is going to go after retaliation for something, if any disrespect towards him. So Warlow has now got to think about that whenever he gets his mind off of Powerhouse Hobbs. And with that, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, let me give you my Crown Jewel predictions. The first match for the WWE Women's Tag Team titles, Alexa Bliss and Asuka defending it against damage controls Dakota Kai and Io Sky. I think Alexa and Asuka is going to retain the titles. They just won it on Monday Night Raw this week. I don't think we're just going to have them quickly just turn the titles back over to Dakota Kai and Io Sky at Crown Jewel. So... Alexa and Asuka. For the undisputed tag team titles, the Usos going against the Brawling Brutes. The Usos, again, the same thing. The Usos going against the Brawling Brutes. I don't think we're going to have the Usos turn the titles over to the Brawling Brutes for some type of surprise, like, yeah, we're going to give something to the fans here in Saudi Arabia. I think not. I think the Usos are going to retain it and go against the New Day next week on SmackDown. Last woman standing for the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair going against Bailey. Now that I'm going with Bailey. I think we're going to give the Saudi Arabia fans something there on that match. Bianca and Bailey are gonna have a great last woman standing, but I think Bailey's gonna come out on the opposite side winning the championship thanks to Damage Control and possibly even somebody else maybe debuting to join damage control. Maybe, might be Nikki Cross. Who knows? I don't know. I just think that Bailey's going to win it to send a like different thing for the Raw Women's Division because Bianca has held on to that title since, what, Wrestlemania? Yeah, she's held on to it since Wrestlemania. So, I think they're going to pull the trigger and give it to Bailey here. After this, Braun Strowman going against Omos. I think they're going to probably give this to Strowman. I'm not sure why they would. I mean, Strowman just came back, so I can see why they would do it. But Omos is a guy that still needs the... Still needs to shine to beat a former world champion. So I, for me personally, I would go for Omos to win it. But with WWE creative, I'm thinking probably Braun. So I got to give it to Braun here. Drew McIntyre going against Karrion Cross in a steel cage. I think Drew McIntyre is going to win this because Karrion beat him in the strat match. So Drew McIntyre and then we get one more matchup between Drew and Karrion and probably in some other kind of crazy gimmicky match. I have no idea, but I'm going to go with Drew with this. Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Ugh, I think we're going to go with Brock here because Brock's only around for a finite amount of time on the WWE like, schedule. Whenever they actually have him on the contract, they like selectively put him in for certain things. And if Brock beats Bobby here, we're both now down to one and one so we can get a rubber match at a bigger venue and a bigger event. So I'm going to go with Brock here. The club going against the Judgment Day six-man tag. I'm going to go with the club. I think the club's going to have a woman in their corner to be the representative to go against Rhea Ripley if Rhea Ripley tries to get involved in this six-man tag. I don't know who it is, but I think that's where we're going to introduce a woman to the club and be their female-like person to take care of Rhea in this situation. So, the club. And in the main event for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns going against Logan Paul. Roman Reigns will have the bloodline with him, everybody except for Sami Zayn, and Logan Paul will have his brother with him, Jake Paul. I think Roman's going to win this. However, I do think there's going to be a moment in the match where Logan Paul is going to punch Roman in the face and knock him out, and the referee just won't be there at the right position because he be took out by that point in the match, and that's Ultimately, it's going to be the downfall of Logan Paul ultimately almost being able to beat Roman Reigns and end his two-year some-odd run as champion. So, I'm still going to give it to Roman, but I think we're going to get that type of situation where Logan pops him, referee's down. And whenever they get another referee, it's going to be time for Roman just to kick out of that. And Logan's going to eat a spear or he's going to get tapped out. So, Roman Reigns still retaining his championship. Now, with that all being said, that has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. That has been your WWE Crown Jewel predictions. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys are okay. Don't be a dick. Don't be a douche. I hope you guys watch the WWE uh, Crown Jewel event today at 12 on the eastern side of the United States. If you're in the south, like South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, all that type of stuff but if you're over there in california that type area i believe it's like nine o'clock in the morning over there for you guys hope you guys watch it this is not an ad this is not an endorsement this is just me being a fan i hope you guys do enjoy yourself this saturday again don't be a dick don't be a douche please be careful and i want to say i love you all and again we're only on here this earth for a finite amount of time so please just be careful of who you try to upset if you don't know what they're going through you don't know what they're going to do to you if you try to upset them so that's why it's always good to be a nice genuine person now i love you i thank you i hope you guys have a great saturday have a great weekend i have a sunday episode dropping tomorrow and i will be dropping the crown jewel reaction or review tomorrow as well with the sunday episode so with that this has been your wrestling highlights of the week presented by my Two podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i love you all and kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus I- wept.